RTHK. An international station for an international city. This is Radio 3. Good morning from me, Peter Lewis. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Monday the 28th of March. Markets around Asia are opening for a new week. This is Money Talk on Radio 3 with the latest business and finance headlines. China's National Health Commission reported on Sunday 5,550 new local COVID-19 cases. New infections in Shanghai continued to climb. And in a surprise U-turn, city officials in Shanghai announced that they'll hold separate lockdown and testing operations for the financial hubs east and west sides for nine days starting today. The eastern part of the city, containing the Pudong Financial Hub, has started testing with the lockdown scheduled to conclude at 5am on Friday. The Shanghai Stock Exchange said yesterday it would work to maintain the steady operation of capital markets during this special virus control period. The exchange will also allow listed companies to delay filings of their quarterly or annual reports if they're affected by the pandemic restrictions. China's industrial company's profits accelerated in the first two months of the year, despite it being traditionally a quiet time because of the Lunar New Year holidays. The National Bureau of Statistics said Sunday that profits at manufacturing and raw materials firms rose 5% in the January to February period from a year earlier. That compares with a 4.2% increase in December. Energy and raw materials firms drove profits higher because of higher commodities prices. Hong Kong health officials yesterday reported 8,037 COVID cases, down from 8,841 on Saturday, and the second day in a row that the tally has been below 10,000. Bernard Chan, convener of the Executive Council, said most of the talents that has left Hong Kong will not return due to quarantine measures. He also said we will have to wait and see if Hong Kong can retain its title as a global financial centre. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Mark Michelson at IMA Asia and Brad Gibson from Alliance Bernstein. With a view from mainland China, it's Brock Silvers of Kyan Capital. US stocks rose for the second consecutive week in their largest two-week gain since late 2020. The S&P 500 added half a percent to 4,543, taking its gains over the last fortnight to 8.1%. And the S&P 500 is now 3.9% higher in March, more than erasing its losses since Russia invaded Ukraine late last month. The Dow Industrials rose 153 points to 34,861. The Nasdaq dropped 0.2% to 14,169, but saw a two-week rise of more than 10%. European equities ended the week slightly lower. The Pan-European Stock 600 index is down 0.2% on the week. London's FTSE 100, though, climbed 1.1% over the week. Hong Kong stocks closed sharply lower on Friday, with tech firms leading the losses. The Hang Seng Index sank 2.5 points, 2.5%, or 541 points, to 21,404, leaving it flat on the week. The tech index slumped 5%, dragged lower by a 5.3% fall for JD.com, after it said it would spend 5.4 billion Hong Kong dollars to buy over 261 million new shares in JD Logistics to retain its 63.5% ownership. The Shanghai Composite dropped 1.2% to 3,212. 
In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil this morning is at $117.79 per barrel. Copper was down 0.6% on the week. Gold jumped 2% higher to $1,957 an ounce. The sell-off in global government bonds accelerated on Friday, putting them on track for their worst month of losses ever. As U.S. Treasuries slipped further, the yield on the 10-year U.S. Treasury note rose on Friday as much as 14 basis points to 2.5%, the highest level since May 2019. The US dollar ended the week modestly higher. The big move was in the Japanese yen, which fell to 2.4% last week to a six-year low of 122.3 versus the dollar. The euro is trading at $1.10. Sterling is worth $1.32 and 10 Hong Kong dollars and 31 cents. The Chinese yuan is at 6.39 in offshore markets. And Bitcoin is trading this morning at $46,800. Asian markets are starting trading for a new week. In Australia, the SX200 is up a quarter of a percent. Nikkei 225 has fallen half a percent at the open. The Cosby is down about 0.6%. Futures markets, though, pointing for a gain of about 130 points. Vivi Hang Seng at the open this morning. Eight oh eight and a half. Let's welcome our guests sitting with me here in Broadcasting House this morning is Mark Michelson, Chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia. Morning, Mark. Good morning, Peter. And on the phone we have Brad Gibson, co-head of Asia Pacific Fixed Income at Alliance Bernstein. Morning to you, Brad. Hi there, Peter. Um, let's start in China. As we heard there, the lockdown now in Shanghai has started. Uh, Pudong is going to be locked down until uh, 5 a.m. on Friday morning. The stock exchange, though, is going to continue to operate as best as it can. Um, Mark, this is another blow, isn't it, for, for China's economy? What, what are your members saying about this? It is. I mean, they're worried. China was slowing down already, as we know last year and, and early this year. And now, you know, especially those in Shanghai, we've we've held several meetings over Zoom the past week or so, and everybody in Shanghai is in, in isolation, either at home or in, in some other ways, and they're not sure what the end game is. There was a hope that Shanghai might be spared to some degree. Of course, that's what the city government was saying. Mm. Apparently, that's not going to happen. And it's a part of this zero COVID policy. How far are you going to be able to go with this, especially when this variant is, is so is so uh, it's so infective. It's a bit surprising, isn't it? Because at one stage, the authorities were saying Shanghai is too important to the national economy to lock it down. And it was even saying too important to the global economy to be put into lockdown. Suddenly, we wake up this morning and it's in lockdown. Yeah, well, of course, it's a question of how long how long that that goes too. But again, it just adds the uncertainty, already very volatile uh, situation in the, in the world with geopolitics and with with every with COVID and with everything else. There was a lot of talk over the last couple of weeks, particularly from Lou Her and the State Council, about supporting the economy, supporting the financial markets. What what can they do to try and offset the damage and the harm that this may do? Well, obviously some stimulus measures, but they really have to send signals about what's, what they're going to be doing going forward, which isn't easy in any time, especially given what the rest of the world is, is going through at this point. But a lot of it is revolving around COVID policy. Mm. And, you know, and it seems as if it's just going to be very hard to get a handle on, on COVID just because of the variant. It is infectious and it doesn't seem like it can be easily stopped. So you have to mitigate it in some ways. 
and so there may have to be a a change and let's see let's see if they are able to do that brad what what's your thoughts on what this is going to do for the mainland yeah. economy i i agree with mark it's going to it's going to slow it down um and it's probably the pdoc is probably one of the only central banks in the world that can actually respond or is looking to respond to this slowing growth scenario so we, we'll get further data with the pmis out this this week um but that might to do with the timing of, of further rate cuts um, and injections of liquidity. So the PBOC is likely to be cutting rates uh, to try to prop up growth, whereas central banks everywhere else around the world are likely to be raising rates yeah. to try mm. to um, contain inflation. So a completely different dynamic onshore in China versus the rest of the world. Is it going to put pressure, though, on the Chinese yuan and capital outflows? That, that's actually been somewhat surprising, um, and that might be partly why there's been sort of record outflows from China's bond markets in the last couple of months. Mm. Maybe not because people are necessarily worried about where rates are going. If, if anything, they're going to continue to, to head somewhat lower if the, if the PBOC cuts rates. But it's the fact that that whole interest rate differential between China and the rest of the world has, has narrowed to almost zero now, that the willingness to hold the renminbi at these levels um, is, is diminished. We had a report... Um on Friday from the Institute of International Finance, and it said global investors have withdrawn money out of China on an unprecedented scale since Russia invaded Ukraine in late February, and the Chinese yuan's likely to face more pressure in coming months. The IF report said outflows from China on the scale and intensity we're seeing are unprecedented, especially since we're not seeing similar outflows from the rest of emerging markets. Have you been seeing signs of that as well, those types of unprecedented outflows? Uh, well, let's, let's be careful with unprecedented because let's not forget that inflows into China only really began sort of five to ten years ago. So this is probably the first time we've actually seen any sort of significant outflow. So yes, mm. yes it's the largest outflow ever, but just, we, we just never had inflows to get the outflows. <laughs> the outflows proven. But, but nevertheless, I, I would agree that you know, we are seeing um, some flight out of the China bond market. And again, I think that's more to do with potential risks around the currency rather than, than the bonds. But again, unprecedented, might be a bit of an exaggeration. We're just seeing a lot of inflows and there's maybe some profit taking at these levels. Are there signs that people are changing the way they view China and the mainland economy? The IIF was sort of suggesting that might be what's happening in its report. Um, again, within the bond market itself, no, I would not think so. Uh, but certainly within the maybe the, the, the equity market and aspects of the credit market, um, I think there would be some investors who are looking at what's happening with sanctions in Russia, etc., and what's happening with you know, fairly clumsy policy, policy initiatives with respect to the property sector, the tech sector, and you know how much risk premium do you need to get to to accept that level of regulatory? Um, uh, lack of transparency. And I think that's what investors are grappling with at the moment, investing into China. And then that premium, I suspect, is <laughs> going to have to get higher. Mm. Mark, are you sensing that maybe people are changing the way they look at China? The, the IIF was sort of suggesting that might be the reason why we're seeing these types of outflows. Sure. And, you know, and companies are, are thinking the same. Uh, not all of them, obviously. It's very important for a lot of for example, a lot of our members, the, the China market and so on. But you have to rethink and think about mm. if there's going to be more decoupling, if there's there going to be more more headwinds. One of the issues also that appear, has appeared, and it's not very clear, the policy implementation might have 
might have uh, stalled a little bit in the middle and lower levels of government in mm. China, which is also making the situation, not surprisingly, but maybe making the situation a little bit more uh, more worrisome for a lot of a lot of companies and others in there. And the, and the other thing people have been talking about is the impact of the war in yeah, Ukraine and whether China could get dragged into this through U.S. sanctions. Is that a big fear? It is a big fear, obviously. But, you know, it could be counterproductive, too, because, as we've said many times before, China is so key to the to the world economy and to all mm. these all the companies that I represent. So it could easily backfire. So that's that's part of the caution, even though there's so much political pressure in the U.S. and elsewhere to to ramp up the uh, pressure on China. Brad, let me ask you a bit more about the bond markets, the global bond markets. It, it looks like this could be the worst month uh, ever for, for global bonds, for the global bond index. Um, obviously, being led by U.S. Treasuries, we're seeing this unprecedented surge now in um, in, in yields in the in the U.S. Has has this? Then we've we've seen bond yields in a long term downtrend for quite a few years now. Has that yeah. now come to an end? Feels like it, and, and I think the, the use of the word unprecedented in this context is, is probably right. Um, and I, I think that's again partly, well, mainly driven by inflation. So, in, in the US, for example, the market is saying that inflation in the US is going to be 4% on average for the next five years. Mm. So, even when the, the, the Fed starts to get aggressive and, and we start talking about a Fed funds rate of, let's say, 25 to 3%, that's still below the level of inflation. Mm. So you know, back in the you know, when Paul Volcker had to you know, raise rates aggressively mm-hmm. to to clip inflation, you had to get rates above inflation. So mm-hmm. we're nowhere near that at the moment. So I think that the bond market is somewhat on unhinged as it tries to work out you know, how high does the Fed funds rate have to go. And, and they're talking about, or the markets now are pricing in eight uh, rate hikes this year. That means there's going to have to be a couple of half a percentage point rate hikes. Sure. But again, that, that takes the, the, the Fed funds rate to 2.5%. Mm. And then inflation's running at 3.5%, 4 It's going to be a lot higher than that in the, in the, in the short term. So uh, again, it's, it's probably not enough um, to, to achieve their inflation target in terms of hiking even that aggressively. So, something seems wrong, though. We're seeing this, um, what we say is unprecedented rise in bond yields. Equity markets are also going up, though, as well. If anything, um, uh, sort of uh, e- economic or financial tightness is, is, is actually getting easier, isn't it, because of the markets going up at the moment. So, you know, the, these rate hikes that we're having are not doing the required tightening that's needed while the markets keep going up. It doesn't make sense, does it? Uh no, that, that's hard to explain, isn't it? With, with, with all the geopolitical risks going on, with the Fed hiking aggressively, um, a lot of uncertainty, and the equity market seems to be sailing through. So, yeah, I would agree that the, you know, potentially you know, the market got a little bit too bearish on the, on the news of the Ukraine situation. Uh, maybe this is a, a clean out of that sort of overly bearish positioning. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of hard to see the, the, the equity markets continue to, to, to sail on, um, irregardless of what's going on elsewhere. Is, is that also a concern of your members, surging inflation in the U.S.? And also we're seeing signs of it in Europe as well, aren't we? No, absolutely. It's one of their, one of their main issues, and it affects everything, of course, and the supply chain on top of all of that, and the worry that it could hit Asia. You know, the inflation in Asia is, has been relatively mild comparatively in most places, but nonetheless, it's affecting all their businesses.
Let me ask you about Hong Kong. We've had um, two days now where we're below 10,000 um, cases. Any sign of light at the end of the tunnel for, for Hong Kong? Well, there's a few, you know, there, there's a roadmap. Of course, a roadmap we know could change very quickly. But nonetheless, it seems things are easing, but then... Then it's mixed signals, right? Such as on the on the airlines and the mm. restrictions on the airlines. Yes, they're going to be eased, but really not that much. And and you know they may be flights may be stopped from certain airlines if there are too many people that have COVID and crew and and so on. It's very unclear still, and I don't think it makes anyone feel that much more comfortable. Yes, the signs are pointing in the right direction, and and you know from a medical standpoint, from what what doctors seem to tell us, it is pointing in the right direction at, at, at this point, but policy isn't following that completely. And it's partly because of the, the z- dynamic zero COVID approach. I want to use the word unprecedented again. There's been this unprecedented <laughs> exodus of people, haven't there, from, from Hong Kong. That European Chamber of Commerce survey showed um, half of their members were either leave, either are leaving or planning to leave. And, you know, you don't know in the end, but this mirrors what the AmCham survey said about a month ago, that was released about a month ago. It mirrors our group as well. And the the change that's important, you know, the question is whether they come back or not. And some some will come back, but in some cases, companies are not replacing the positions. The mm. posi- I mean, the positions are disappearing in Hong Kong. It's not that they're going to Singapore. They've just restructured. And so... Five or six major companies that I can name have done that at this point. And so they're, they're not coming back. Right? The problem is once you've made the decision to go and you've actually gone, a lot of things get set in motion, don't they, that are difficult to, to reverse. You know, if you've got families, you put your kids into schools. And so you don't want to then suddenly reverse all so of this that. So this is, that's why this is a crucial period because it's a period where, where uh, families are making decisions on about schooling going forward. So that's, that's important. But also... Mm. You know, they have to think about what they're going to be doing and whether they're going to come back. Those have moved temporarily to Singapore or somewhere else. Then they have to think, well, is this going to be temporary or are we going to do something a little bit longer term? Brad, how, how do you see Hong Kong's situation at the moment? Uh, yeah, I would agree. There's some concerns there and, and that exodus is, is continuing. And let's not also forget that the, you know, the Hong Kong dollar is pegged to the US dollar uh, and it also accepts or takes U.S. interest rate policy. So we were talking about the Fed having to hike aggressively by about eight times this year, and that that also means that borrowing rates in Hong Kong are going to be rising quite significantly Mm. this year as well. So, again, maybe some of the underperformance of the the equity market is is not just this this regulatory reforms, etc., but also the fact that borrowing rates are going to be going up significantly in, in Hong Kong. Um, and unlike the U.S., inflation in Hong Kong is running around sort of one and a half to, to two percent. So, you know, the policy is going to be tightened quite a lot in Hong Kong compared to what, what's happening in the U.S. The, the worst possible time, just as we're battling yes. this this outbreak. Bernard Chan, convener of the Executive Council, he said most of the talent that has left Hong Kong isn't going to return, and he also said we'll have to wait and see if Hong Kong can retain its title as a global financial centre. Yeah, well, you you don't know for sure, but it, certainly some of it won't as well. I mean, Hong Kong's advantage still is in comparison to 
most of the rest of Asia, Hong Kong still is an attractive place to do business. Obviously, one of those attractions, the the location and the transport links have been uh, have been stymied for a while. But in terms of of the flow of information, in terms of rule of law, even if even if they have been challenged, are still better than most other places. And so, I think a lot of companies still want to be here if they mm-hmm. can be, but are being pushed to make decisions. And as as is indicated by by the surveys and by what 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 we're finding as well in in our group, some of these people are not going to come back. Brad, as someone who works in the financial services industry, are you worried at all about Hong Kong's uh, role as an international financial center? Uh, I, I would say that probably Hong Kong has shown a, a very strong ability to evolve um, mm. over, over many challenges. So it could well be that the, the nature of China's of Hong Kong's financial markets just changes, and it could be that a lot of the, the expats that were there are replaced by, by more sort of mainland-focused um, Sort of financial market participants. Let's not forget that Hong Kong is probably one of the, the gateways between the, sort of that whole Greater Bay Area. So it, it wouldn't surprise me that in five years' time, yeah, Hong Kong has, has re-emerged, but it just looks somewhat different. It, it could still be a very vibrant part of, sort of the, the financial yeah. fabric of Asia, for sure. I, I agree. I agree completely. Okay, well, thank you both very much. You heard there, Brad Gibson, co-head of Asia-Pacific Fixed Income at Alliance Bernstein. Mark Michelson, who's chairman of the Asia CEO Forum at IMA Asia. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. It's 8.24 on the phone now is Brock Silvers, Chief Investment Officer at Kyan Capital. Morning, Brock. Good morning. Good to be with you again. Thank you very much. Um, let me ask you about the markets. We've seemed to have this rebound where we had a, a huge sell-off, didn't we? Then quite a dramatic rebound, which on the mainland now seems to have stalled out. Is that uh, we, we had on Friday the, the regulators in the US saying it was premature to think that they'd reached an agreement over the delisting of Chinese shares? Is that one of the reasons, one of the overhangs on the market? Well, look, I think what we're seeing is is fairly predictable. The sell-off itself was probably pretty rational. There are real risks for Chinese equities right now. The economy's problematic. Zero COVID is an economic disaster. The real estate sector's insolvent. Um, U.S. rates are rising. And this week, I think we'll see dozens of Hong Kong companies fail to report the real overrepresentation of mainland companies. Now, there are unquantifiable risks as well. The U.S.-Sino relationship is rocky at best. I do think we're likely, we're at least on the path to USD listings, and the regulatory state has just created a mess. Um, Mm. Now, while the sell-off was rational, I I just thought the rebound was not. You know, Liuha emerged and said Beijing would support markets, and nothing more. So prices rebounded, but, but nothing had changed. Now, markets are going to need specifics dealing with real issues, and I don't think Beijing has easy answers. And I just think what, the, you know, what spurred the rebound really did nothing to reconvince investors that China is still worth the risk. And we've now got, of course, this uh, lockdown in Shanghai, which has started uh, this morning. What sort of impact is that going to have? Well, I mean, look, there's a real surge on the mainland. But in my view, COVID is going to prove to have been far less destructive than the reaction to it at this point. Um the lockdown in Shanghai is beyond anything that Hong Kong can imagine. And the economic impact on a wobbly economy struggling to regain some footing, I think, is going to be severe. And it will have, I think it will 
again have an impact on global supply chains. So, mm. again, it's just not good news. So this 5.5% economic growth target, or around 5.5%, it's looking more and more unattainable, isn't it? it you know, it's a nice target, but I'm not optimistic for it. Mm. And... Um, what about uh, outflows? We've been seeing uh, quite a lot of outflows from the mainland, haven't we? There was this report from the Institute of International Finance describing it as uh, people withdrawing money on an unprecedented scale. Have you been seeing signs of that? Yeah, I think it's undeniable. And it's a China phenomenon rather than an Asia or emerging markets phenomenon. Um, but I, I just think it seems like a mistake to attribute it just to the most recent headlines on Ukraine. I think Ukraine may have been the spark behind this, but it's not the kindling. Um, this is just the latest bit of, of bad news for Chinese markets, and it also highlights geopolitical risks for China. Um, you know that that could that could bring a Ukraine-like disaster to markets here. Now that's not likely, but it is possible, and it's been highlighted. And I just mm. think money managers are reacting to the totality of the environment. Uh, and not just the latest news. And is that still another overhang over Chinese markets, the fear that China could get dragged into this and be hit with U.S. sanctions? Yeah, I, I think it, it, it certainly could be. And, look, there's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of geopolitical instability right now contributed to in no small measure by a U.S. Uh, administration that appears to be vacillating, if not weak, um, and, and we're not quite sure where that's going to go, and there are certainly some risks that could reach out and, and take a bite at China. Is there a level at which Chinese shares become cheap enough to be attractive to you in terms of maybe their premium to book value? I just don't think the problem with Chinese shares right now relates to valuation. Yeah, on standard metrics, there are Chinese shares right now that do look very appealing and that do seem to be cheap. But the problems, I think, go beyond that. You have the, the known problems, and maybe I could get my arms around those, but it's these, um, it's these larger problems that speak to investability that give me pause. And I'm going to need to see some regulatory stability um, before I think people, before at, at least I can kind of readdress China as an investable market. Mm. And and you mentioned earlier that uh, quite a number of companies are going to fail to file their financials on time here in Hong Kong. The deadline's Thursday, uh, which means right. that, in effect, they're going to get suspended, aren't they, until they do. This presumably is going to be a lot of the property companies. You would think that it's a lot of the property companies. I think the, the, the mainland contingent will be overrepresented in the non-filers. And what's the impact of that going to be on the Hong Kong market, if, if any? Well, look, it, uh, on the one hand, it's expected. It won't surprise anyone. But, but look, it still isn't good news, right? Mm. It still is a negative for the market. And it's coming at a time when we could really do without the added negative sentiment. Mm. It sort of adds, doesn't it, to the concerns about transparency you have on the one hand, U.S. regulators saying that they're not getting audit information from Chinese companies to meet their requirements. And then on the other hand, here in Hong Kong, where a lot of these companies are presumably going to flee to, uh, they, they can't file their, their financials on time either um, and, and end up being suspended. It, it's not a good feel, is it, for, for, for Chinese shares? Yes. And the non-filing is coming on the heels of some high-profile events like Evergrande saying, gee, we've, 
We've had a couple of billion dollars worth of assets seized, but don't worry, we'll form a committee to look into it. <laughs> you would think they would know, wouldn't you, how, uh, what happened to their own assets? I, I, absolutely. And if management didn't know, if this was really a surprise, maybe that's an even bigger indictment. Mm. Brock, I'd love to talk to you more. Always very interesting to speak with you. That's Brock Silvers, Chief Investment Officer at Kyan Capital. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Well, shaping up to be quite a day in the markets, I think. The SX200 in Australia currently up about 0.4%. Uh, in Japan, stocks moving in the other direction. Nikkei 225 down about half a percent. Uh, the Cosby in South Korea is off about 0.4%. Uh, Hang Seng looks like it's going to rally about 100 points or so at the open, uh, according to futures markets. Brent crude oil is at $116.76 a barrel. Gold route right now trading at $1,955 an ounce. The news is coming up next, followed by COVID updates with Jim Gould and Mike Rouse. The weather forecast, cloudy and showers, few squally thunderstorms, cool in the morning, maximum temperature around 19 degrees during the day. And then the outlook, windy with occasional showers tomorrow. Sunny intervals on Wednesday and Thursday with temperatures rising during the day. It's a thunderstorm warning is in force right now and it's 17 degrees, 91% relative humidity. It's 8.32. Here's Andrew Shosky with the half-hour news. Thank you, Peter. Roughly half of Shanghai's 25 million residents are under lockdown this morning as the first half of a two-part phase testing operation goes into effect in the mainland's biggest financial hub. Todd Harding reports. Shanghai city government says residents living east of the Huang River will be placed under lockdown and ordered to take PCR tests for COVID from today until Friday. The area includes the Pudong Financial District. The lockdown is scheduled to conclude at 5 o'clock on Friday morning. At 3 o'clock on Friday morning, lockdown and testing will begin in areas west of the river, known as Pushi. Testing there will conclude on April the 5th. Residents will have to stay home while their area is locked down and public transport will cease to function. People and vehicles will be allowed to enter the affected areas but won't be allowed to leave. Essential services, including delivery, will continue. The Shanghai Stock Exchange says it will work to maintain the steady operation of capital markets during this special virus control period. An aviation expert says Hong Kong's aviation sector has fallen behind compared to its regional and global counterparts. Brendan Sobey of consulting firm Sobey Aviation, however, said the easing of flight suspensions and quarantine rules are encouraging steps. But he told RTHK the policy change won't close gaps with other hubs in the region when other places are already opening up. The steps announced by Hong Kong in the last week or two uh, is very encouraging um, because at least it's you know, some going in the right direction now. But it's, it's still re- relatively small steps and it's not going to do that much to uh, get Hong Kong back in terms of an aviation uh, hub, and it's uh, and it's not going to close the gap with the other hubs in the region because other hubs are really racing forward right now in terms of um, benefiting from the broader reopening, particularly in other parts of Asia as well as globally. The Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, has accused Moscow of wiping Russian-speaking cities in his country off the face of the earth since it attacked a month ago. He was speaking in a landmark interview with four independent Russian media outlets. Mr. Zelensky did sound notes of compromise, saying Ukraine could consider adopting neutral status subject to a referendum. Security guarantees and neutrality, non-nuclear status of our state. We're ready to go for it. This is the most important point. It was the main point for the Russian Federation as far as I can remember. 
He also said he might compromise on the Donbass region, which is partially occupied by pro-Russian separatists. He said it would be impossible to force Russia out of Ukrainian territory completely. And Hollywood's biggest night of the year, the Academy Awards, is underway in Los Angeles. Netflix is hoping it will become the first streaming giant to pick up a Best Picture Oscar for its period western, The Power of the Dog. The film is the evening's frontrunner with 12 nominations. But Apple TV's family-friendly Coda, which features a deaf cast, has also gained support. You listen.